CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Thursday, April 20th, 2023. Reefer Day, National Reefer Day uh, in the United States of America. Hope you're celebrating by, I don't know, either smoking reefer or not smoking reefer. Hope you're celebrating. Uh, as I always do before I bring on my distinguished guest, I'd like to read you a story uh, that's breaking uh, in the news so you know what's going on. I'm going to keep it local. So much local conversation uh, these days since the mayoral election. But this story just broke before I came on the air to do, record this uh, interview, and I might have thanked my distinguished guest for alerting me this breaking story. Otherwise, I would have done the interview without knowing about it. I would have looked really dumb. Um, but in my defense, I've been on the mic all day. All right. Anyway, here we go. Breaking news from the Chicago Sun-Times on Reefer Day. Tommy Shuba, uh, ace reporter for the Sun-Times. Acting Chicago Police Superintendent Eric Carter announces retirement amid nationwide search for next cop. Wow. So just so you keep track, folks, ladies and gentlemen, uh, those in Chicago, those out of Chicago. Right now, Chicago is at the center of a national debate about law enforcement, criminal justice, policing tactics. Should we lock people up and throw them away? Uh, should we do police reforms and change these habits? Uh, should we reduce crimes, excuse me, reduce the sentencing of certain crimes so we don't overload our uh, jails with people who are arrested for stuff that's relatively minor? If we do that, will that encourage a lawlessness so if you don't arrest people for shoplifting, let's say, on a mass scale, will that encourage them to do more shoplifting and then they move on to throwing bricks through windows? That's kind of like, the, what do they call it? The broken window theory of policing uh, that was very popular back in the 90s. Should you do massive sweeps like Chicago has done in the 80s, 90s and 0s, just mass arrest people? You know, there's been a reform movement that says, no, we should not do that. We should not, what, vilify or demonize uh, our children. Uh, we should not demonize teens. Uh, we should just not criminalize people, send them off to jail at a very early age. And that force has essentially uh, elected a mayor, mayor-elect, Brandon Johnson. And there's another side of this debate, which is lock them up, throw away the key. That's how you, be, that's how you successfully police a city and make sure that people are safe. And that make, makes businesses feel satisfied and secure about investing in Chicago. And so if you want to promote Chicago as an international city that tourists and businesses come to, you just got to lock people up. And that is more or less the approach that was taken for as long as I can remember here in the city of Chicago, uh, going back to the 80s, really. Uh, Mayor Daley was elected in the 80s, 89, uh, throughout the 90s into the O's. Uh, and uh, so Eric Carter... Uh, steps down. He was the interim. Let's let's get that straight. He's replacing David Brown, who was Lori Lightfoot's uh, police chief. He stepped down. They brought in Eric Carter to replace him. Now he's announcing he's leaving on May 15th. 
May 15th, as my distinguished guest pointed out to me, is the day that Brandon Johnson is stepping in as mayor. That's the day they're going to have the big ceremony. He'll be inaugurated. The new city council will be sworn in. We will officially move from the Lori Lightfoot era to the Brandon Johnson era. This dude is stepping down on that day. I'm like, I'm reading this article by Tommy Schubert. I'm wondering, like, so who appoints the interim interim? Like, Brandon Johnson is just mayor-elect. He's not officially the mayor of the city of Chicago. Lori Lightfoot is the mayor of the city of Chicago. So is Lori Lightfoot going to replace an interim interim to replace Eric Carter, who was an interim to replace David Brown? Brandon Johnson doesn't have any capability of putting an interim. He's not the mayor. So are we not going to have a police chief for one day, which is kind of an interesting little experiment in policing? We're not going to have a police chief. So, so wait, when, at what point in May 15th does the retirement officially kick in? Is it May 15th at midnight so that uh, May 14th turns to May 15th? There's no police chief. Or is it May 15th at the end of the regular business hours? These are the questions that great minds think about when I read stories like this. You know, this is kind of funny. Sometimes people think I know everything about politics, everything about everything. And so I'll say something about, you know, Eric Carter stepped down and I'll get questions like that. Well, does he step down on midnight or does he step down? At this is the problem with being an expert. They think I know everything. I don't know these <laughs> answers. But it's like I'm starting to think. I'm really starting to think, folks. I'm starting to suspect that there's a little bit of what going on here in the city of Chicago by rank and file police officers, just kind of like, oh, you want that little defund the police stuff? We'll give you defund the police stuff. I kind of had that sense that there's this, I would call it bad sportsmanship because their guy lost the election. Paul Vallis lost the election. It could be a little of that. I know, listen, rank-and-file police officers, I know I'm not the world's greatest sport. So whenever I lose, I moan about her for four years. I'm still moaning about Mayor Daley's victories in the 90s. So I understand the whole notion of bad sportsmanship. But I'm just a guy in an attic talking into a microphone overlooking an alley. I'm not in charge of policing the streets of Chicago. It's a, a little different thing. So is Eric Carter just saying, ah, F you, Brandon Johnson. I'm out of here. I don't know. I have to watch this. This is the developing story. Another developing story. I just have to share this. I got this. Uh, this is a great line that the person who gave me this line didn't want to utter it. So I'm going to be the guy that utters it because I think this is this way of this person saying, will Ben say anything? Absolutely anything. Are there no restraints? Uh, so I'm going to prove that it's pretty much the case. Uh, and, uh, I am going to cite a tweet by, who was it? Uh, it was from, uh, Gregory Pratt from the Chicago Tribune. Gregory Pratt does an outstanding job covering city hall, uh, for the Chicago Tribune. All right. So this is the tweet as put out from Gregory Pratt at yesterday's uh, who was at yesterday's city council meeting when Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, it was her last meeting, it was the last meeting of many of the aldermen, 12 aldermen, I think, are moving on. Here we go. Alderman Raymond Lopez to Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Quote, your presence made me become a better alderman. I think my presence helped you become a better mayor. At the end, together, we help make this a better city. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Uh, Ray Lowe, uh, Raymond Lopez, Alderman of the 15th Ward, of course, uh, battled Mayor Lori Lightfoot from almost day one uh, till the last meeting before this one, constantly deferring and publishing, constantly irritating her with their needling her, questioning her. And of course, they had that showdown with, uh, with Dr. D, loved playing. Uh, he would, <laughs> it was right after uh, the George Floyd murder. Uh, there was rioting going on throughout the city of Chicago. The issue was how was Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, handling it? Was she dispatching all the police to the downtown, leaving the, uh, the neighborhoods vulnerable uh, to looting? And so there was a, uh, it was actually an illegal meeting of, this, of the aldermen with Mayor Lori Lightfoot. They were in violation of the Open City Meetings Act, but they were meeting to get her report 
on uh, the disturbances and how she was handling the rioting. Uh, and uh, there was an exchange. The meeting was secretly recorded. We, we still don't know who recorded it, but there was that famous day uh, exchange where uh, Raymond Lopez asked Mayor Lori Lightfoot a question. Uh, she ignored the question. Uh, and he said, I want an answer. And she goes, uh, well, you you're my, you want an answer? I'm doing this from memory. It's been a while since I heard Dennis play the tape. My, uh, you're 100% full of shit. At which point Ray Blow said, I'm full of shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Chicago politics. Uh, well, then, fuck you. All right. And so that's the Ray Lo we all love. Uh, and... Um, uh, one of my uh, dear friends uh, of the show suggested uh, that if Lori Lightfoot's response to uh, Ray Lowe's praise was anything other than no offense, but fuck you, then she really doesn't have the biggest dick in Chicago. Oh, God, that's Chicago humor, ladies and gentlemen. It is that is classic, cynical Chicago humor, the humor of a resident of the city of Chicago who knows everything is a freaking game. It's all rigged. There's nothing legit about anything in the city of Chicago. Uh, anyway, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. He's been uh, very patiently standing by. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, this is Mike Girardi, and I am in my attic. <laughs> yes, Mike Girardi, that Mike Girardi. Uh, I call him the Neil Young of Chicago, uh, stinging satire. Uh, he's a great songwriter, uh, and he works for a governmental entity. I'm not going to name it. I'm just saying, as I do when Sam Holloway comes on the show, leave him alone. He's got a First Amendment protection right to say what he wants. Do not fire him for being on the Ben Jarofsky show. That's just, you know, you do that. I'm calling Ron DeSantis. I'm calling Greg Abbott. All my friends in the MAGA movement who believe in First Amendment protected speech. I'm going to call Elon Musk. Yes. Got to get Elon Musk on the phone. There we go. Uh, and Dave Chappelle and Bill Maher and everybody else. Uh, all right, uh, Michael, uh, you're going to do a song. We will have you come on and do a song. Uh, it's a tradition when you come on the show uh, that uh, you do a, a song or two. Uh, but before we do that, um, I think we should talk about the field trip uh, that you went on. And I was your <laughs> Michael lives on the south side of Chicago, uh, and those are his roots. Uh, but he came north, and we met. We took a field trip to Ann Sather's Restaurant in Lakeview, which is owned, of course, by Alderman Tom Tunney, 44th Ward, uh, who has been getting pretty much uh, <laughs> ripped on this show on a regular basis uh, because he was he made the observation that Lori Lightfoot lo lost the north side because she neglected the north side uh, and the loop uh, in favor of the west side and the south side. Uh, and so in the aftermath of that, I actually, Mike, I think you wanted to come to Ann Sather's long before that. Uh, so talk a little bit about your observations of your field trip to the north side of Chicago and Ann Sather's. Okay, so um, the cinnamon rolls were good and the icing was good and it was warm. And that's really the key. If the icing was cold, <laughs> then it, it would have been like, you know, worse than McDonald's cinnamon rolls. But, um, so I know my way around a cinnamon roll and I got to tell you, those were, those were good cinnamon rolls. I mean, you, you saw when, uh, it was supposed to be a side. I didn't know that I wasn't prepared to like look at the menu. I came for cinnamon rolls. So they, they said, what do you want for your side? And I said, more cinnamon rolls. And, and they gave them to me and they were good. <laughs> Yeah, no, there were two sides. <laughs> yes, for two cinnamon I, I said, can, can I just get the side? And he's like, well, you can still get another side. Then can I just make it more cinnamon rolls? And, and that was possible. Yes. And let me just say this. Uh, the wait stat, the waiter was excellent. No, he, uh, fine gentleman, great service. Yeah, I have no complaints whatsoever. Uh, it was kind of weird going there, uh, Mike, because I think it was just the day before. I had ripped Tunney for the, that dumb remark he made. Uh, and then you were like, we had already had that date to go to Ann Sather's. So I was like, well, I can't break the date. 
I did try to get you to go to some place on the south side. You go, no, I want to go to Ann Sather's. So I was like, I hope they don't recognize me here. Uh, <laughs> but it's, you know, <laughs> I flatter myself. They didn't know who I was. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So what's your thoughts about his observation that um, the north side has been neglected uh, at the expense of the south and west side? You literally drove across the city from the south side to get there. It was that your uh, feeling, too, that the north side has been neglected at the expense of the south and west side? No, that's just how I feel about cinnamon rolls. Um, I would drive across the country for a good cinnamon roll. And I, I forget, because you mentioned uh, earlier that, you know, when we were in there, we saw how blighted it was. Because um, that's the standard, right? For To get TIF money, you have to prove that it, it's a blighted property. So we saw that, I think the bathroom looked a little blighted, maybe. Um, but I think when we were there, what we were actually joking about was we were like, this is it, look at it. This is this is the economic engine. It was, remember it was, he said, it's the economic engine that pays for all this stuff on the South and West sides. Right. Yes. This is the economic engine that pays for it all. I was just, you know, basking in its uh, glory. <laughs> yeah. Are, are you one of those uh, South siders that has a uh, chip on his shoulder about the North side? Um, yeah. Okay. Short answer. <laughs> this, this is why I could never run for office. I couldn't think of a good lie. Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. I won't go into it too much, but uh, if you were if you were from the South Side, I would. Well, uh, I, I, as I always say, I'm not from uh, Chicago, uh, but I've learned the ways of Chicago. I've lived here so long. Uh, and that's one of the first things I learned about Chicago was there's it's very tribalistic. Uh, and there's this south side divide, uh, north side, south side divide. And then in the black community, uh, a west side, south side divide. Uh, and then, the, you know, there's the other Hispanic community. I learned this early on. Northwest side, southwest side divide, Puerto Rican, Mexican divide. I mean, the city is divided. Okay. Uh, but the South Side North Side divide is one. I, I, I struggle with that one, uh, Mike. I'm like there'll be South Siders like, "Well, I hate the Cubs because that's a corporate team." Yeah, I'm a White Sox fan. I'm like, do you realize the state is it's state supported corporate? Uh, Corporation, you realize that the state is subsidizing the Chicago White Sox. I just want you to know that right now. That yeah, but nobody cares about that, and you're the only one who doesn't like the Cubs because their owners are like Trump supporters or whatever. Nobody cares about that. It's just it's about it's about baseball teams and 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 about you know neighborhoods and and stuff. So you know us and them and and so. It's my understanding. I I'm just barely old enough to remember when I was a little kid that there it, when the Bears won the Super Bowl and I was doing that stupid little dance and everything. I I remember there were some really old guys who didn't care that the Bears won the Super Bowl on the South Side because they were not Bears fans because they were Chicago Cardinals fans and the Cardinals played at Comiskey. And the Bears were the North Side team that played played at Wrigley, and they're the, they're the Cubs of football. And so there were people who were Packers fans because there are quite a bit of Packers fans on the South Side, and I think that's kind of the root of it. Was you know people who didn't care the Bears are the North Side team. Why would I suddenly start rooting for them? And and so when I think about that, if if they didn't uh, build new Comiskey and Reinsdorf was threatening to send the Sox to Florida when I was a kid. Would I have become a Cub fan? Hell no. So I, I don't know what I would be, but like, you know, it's just, it, and it's, it just goes to show you like, this is pure identity nonsense, right? It's like, um, I, I used to always, cause I mean, as I'm trying to think about the ridiculousness of like, um, you know, racial hatred and stuff. And then I would think about like my, my great grandfather was from, uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland. And like, it's still, you know, they have these walls and like the kids don't, you know, know each other and they hate each other. And like, 
but they they're all like red-haired kids with freckles and stuff <laughs> and, it, and it's uh how could they how could they feel so different and everything it's all it's all the same nonsense you know and and i do it i do it a hundred percent i'm like a i'm a lifelong Sox fan and i hate the cubs even though i know that i cannot um give any logical explanation as to why that would make any sense but that's just how it is and 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 uh you know i i married into a cub fan uh family and it's a real problem you know it's uh, <laughs> yeah i uh i just want to point out uh that the second greatest bear of all, all time Number one is always going to be Walter Payton. I don't care what anybody says. But number two, in my humble opinion, Dick Butkus is very much a South Sider. Very from Chicago vocational. Uh, grew up on the South uh, East Side of Chicago. Is as South Side as you can get. If you hear him today, uh, Mike, you go, oh my God, that guy's from the South Side of Chicago. He's and he's the second greatest bear of all time. So I do believe that the the Chicago Cardinal fan. Uh, that generation is kind of left to see. Oh yeah, they're gone. Way. They're long gone. Yeah, they're gone. <laughs> that's just not. People don't think that doesn't make any sense anymore. But it did at a time. So now the Bears are are the exception to that. Like Chicago's one football team, and and out of all the sports, everybody is most hardcore for the team that plays. What is it? Eight games a year here. And and that's the most excited everybody. I mean, when I was a kid, it was Bulls, and I guess for you, it still is. But everybody is nuts about the Bears, and so you're gonna hate me for this and disagree with me. But and I and I know you want to talk about like you know how how Brandon Johnson. I mean, they're already he, the guy hasn't even been sworn into office yet, and they're already throwing him under the bus on everything, and they're already sabotaging him. And that's why I think he he's got his work cut out for him and, and I'm concerned about it, but like he's got to do something big. He's got to have some tricks up his sleeve. And I think that he should save the bears. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. That just blew my mind. I you, you, you kept that from me in the pregame chat. <laughs> I didn't think of it till just now, but I thought of it the moment in that debate when they both got asked about it and Valis's answer was, no, it's too late for that, you know. It, and so he was basically saying what you're saying: let him go, let him, let Schaumburg or whatever it is, give him TIF money, and it, it's not gonna. It's too late. It all the damage is done. The Bears are already leaving. And then they went to Johnson, and he said, "Well, you know, never say never." And he left it open. And in that moment, I thought, if he could do that, you will be very upset. But I. <laughs> You'll say it's a waste of money, but I think you got to understand how irrational most of us are. I think a lot of people will give him a chance if he saves the Bears and keeps oh. them from leaving Chicago. You heard it right here. That's that's really brilliant, and I'm kicking myself that I didn't figure think of that first. Uh, I just was talking with our, our dear friend Micah. Uh, one of the leftier le lefty guys who comes on the show, Micah Utrick, uh, and I was reminiscing. Uh, we, we were talking about how lefties, it's going to be difficult for lefties because Brandon Johnson will move to the center. I guarantee you that. He will move to the center. He's probably already moving to the center as we speak. He will distance himself from people like me. I understand it. I'm not hurt. That's the way of the world. Okay? People like me and Sam Holloway, we are on the fringe. I understand. Uh, and so what I was saying is that lefties will have to figure out how are they going to deal, Mike, with a centrist, Brandon Johnson? Are they going to denounce him with the fervor they denounce Rom? Are they going to denounce him with the fervor they denounce Daly? Or will they find some sympathy for Brandon because he comes from the left originally? And it brought back a memory. Again, you were a baby. I don't know how old you were. Harold Washington, quote-unquote, saved the Sox for Chicago. And he did it uh, with um, by knocking down a neighborhood that existed, a black neighborhood. It was a, a low-rise public housing complex just south of where the old Comiskey Park was. Uh, and he knocked that down. And I remember lefties in Harold Washington's administration were not happy with that. But their attitude was, 
the mayor cannot be the mayor who lost the White Sox. You, and particularly as a black man, they will they will just crucify him. This is what happens when you elect them. I told you. And so uh, Harold started the ball. I, I don't think the deal was officially finalized uh, until after he had died. I, there's a plaque. I don't know if you ever go to Sox games. There's a plaque out of White Sox Stadium. Um, where they they give all the credit to Jim Thompson. They never mention Harold Washington. <laughs> uh, but you're right. Brandon Johnson and will if he does that, he saves the Bears for Chicago. I will be the only one criticizing him for it. You got me. I, maybe you. Maybe you will write a song. But there'll be two of us criticizing it. I still think it would be a waste of money. But you're right. All right, let me ask you this, in your humble opinion. Would voters who voted for Vallis uh, have a more, uh, what, charitable attitude about Brandon Johnson if he, quote-unquote, saved the Bears? Or do you think they would still hate him? I think they would hate him more if the Bears leave on his watch. So I think it could help him. Um, I think that, you know, it's... Nobody's going to turn around and and suddenly love him for just that reason when they, you know, were losing their minds when they found out he's getting elected. But I think they'll, I think they'll back off a little bit. I think it will soften the backlash a little bit. And I don't know what else like that could really, uh, I don't know. I mean, he's, He's got to do something that people don't expect because everybody's kind of the backlash that's starting already right now is like, they're just laughing. Like, what does he think he's going to do? You know, people, he's just going to talk. Right. I, I think that'll be it. If he, if he actually takes some action, does something instead of being like Lightfoot and Emmanuel and where they, they say the right things, which um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was, I was excited that he won. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity. I think, you know, it's the best option out of all of them. Right. And, but the reason that I was not like excited about him when he was just like a Cook County commissioner and it's like, man, he's got to run for mayor. Like, like somebody who I, I do look at that way is Carlos Ramirez Rosa. Like every time you have him on, I think like he's going to be the mayor someday. He just is. He's just like, whatever it is, he's got it, you know, and he's young. And it's like, he's just kind of, I never looked at Brandon Johnson that way, but, um, he, he's just, um, he's, he sounds like a politician when he talks, (laughs) you know, and that's fine. I mean, that's, that's, I guess how you do it, but. Um, if he just spends four years, like saying politician stuff about everything and nothing really changed. I mean, that was Lightfoot's thing. And she did, she did kind of like say stuff that you wanted to hear a lot. I mean, you know, she like at the hideout. Um, but as long as somebody's saying what you want to hear, then you don't hear the other stuff. Cause at the hideout, she, there was a question about, um, you know, what about the concern that you're a corporate lawyer? And she turned to the audience and she went, God forbid. And the audience just laughed like they loved her. What the hell were they laughing at? Like that, that was, it was, they already made up their minds. And so anything, she's a corporal lawyer, they don't care. You know, she had all the, she checked all the boxes and everything. So, um, but then that runs out pretty quickly. And so I remember when she was like, if people on the left and the right, are mad at you, then you know you're doing something right. Yeah, losing. That's how you lose. That's how an incumbent mayor gets, what was it, 16% of the vote? <laughs> that's that's why, you know? And so, so I mean, that'll be his fate, too, if he tries to follow that uh, that same program. Because remember, like, the, f- the first year or the first months or something, she did some stuff where, and, and I will give a little credit because it benefited me. I am a... Uh, I am a user of the Chicago public library user and abuser. And 
So I, I would always have, I got to go pay my late fees before they only took cash. I got to pay all my late fees before I can check out another book. I'm so embarrassed. I'm digging in my pockets and, and, uh, you know, counting my change to pay for my stupid late fees. Cause I can't even bring a book back to a place that I borrowed for free when it's three blocks from my house. So, and it, it she, under her, like she did away with it. And I guess like, you know, people came back to the library with like a book that they had checked out 20 years ago and they're like, sorry here. And now they use the library. <laughs> like that was a good thing. She did some stuff like that in the beginning, but then she didn't do nothing after that, you know? And, and, uh, he, he could disappoint you in that way, you know? And cause it's going to be, look at how uphill this battle is already. And he hasn't even been sworn in yet. Oh yeah. Well, by the way, I, I just have to, I'm with you hundred percent on the library thing. I don't want to go on this tangent because I want to get to, uh, the weekend mayhem in the loop, but, I, I, I'm too, um, I share that with you. I'm a big library user. Uh, and the one thing about Lori Lightfoot that I felt solid about was that she would not go after my beloved library. And because her wife is a librarian or was a librarian. So I think there's an affinity in the family for libraries. Rom, he lost me in that first budget. He went after libraries and my attitude was always about Rama. I know I've written this and said this many times. He didn't use them. He didn't know anybody who used them. to him. Li people who went to libraries were losers. You go to a fucking library. What are you a fucking loser? Why just go buy the fucking book. Why are you even reading a book anyway? And, uh, <laughs> although he always pretended I'm reading this classic novel right now. He's so full of it. Anyway. Um, so I go, I think my libraries are safe with Lori Lightfoot. And then if you recall, during the height of uh, COVID, <laughs> she closed the beach, right? Which makes no sense. Uh, but and had the libraries were closed, but she opened the libraries before she opened the lakefront. And I'm like, well, that's the library in her. And so, you know, the library is a lot more dangerous for the spread of COVID, in my humble opinion. I mean, I'm not Dr. Fauci, but in my humble opinion, the library is more dangerous than the lakefront. And yet the lakefront was the, the that was like the last, I'm going to keep that closed just to show you I can. Uh, so, yeah, Lori Lightfoot, I will criticize her on a lot of things, Mike, but I do. I'm with you. She was good. To, I was nervous about Ballas. I thought if Alice won, he'd go after the libraries because like, that's a waste of money, you know. Uh, plus, he's that he's part of that book banning crowd. He was playing footsie with them for a while. Um, so I'm with you in the libraries. All right. Uh, Mayhem in the Loop, we've been talking about on the show. Mark Sims, I urge everybody to check out that interview. Uh, Monroe Anderson weighed in. Uh, and uh, I've been talking about it obsessively. Uh, and that, of course, was over the weekend. It was uh, the, like the first or second nice day of the year. Suddenly it was warm. Chicagoans do what they do. They go nuts. And hundreds of kids flooded. Teenagers flooded the loop. Some of them got violent. Uh, some of them, uh, there was a horrific footage of a bunch of, of teenagers beating up a couple of people. And um, so it was not a good day for the loop, to put it mild. Not a good day for the city of Chicago. Uh, and then uh, Brandon Johnson responded again. He's mayor elect. He said, I condone any of these actions. They're unacceptable, but I don't want to demonize children. And he's, <laughs> and ever since you thought he was the guy who was running through the, the loop, uh, overturning cars or what have you, your general thoughts, Mike, on what went down this weekend and sort of the political fallout. Um, well, Really, mostly what went down this weekend was a bunch of cell phone videos went all over the Internet. Um, because maybe in the past, when something like this would happen, it would end up everybody would learn about it in a newspaper story. And uh, it would kind of get filtered in some way. And so what happened was some cell phone videos went on Twitter and people saw basically like their worst nightmare coming true. Like you're stuck in traffic downtown and a bunch of teenage kids are jumping on your car and smashing your windshield. And you have to choose between like just accepting 
that that's happening or like stepping on the gas and maybe killing someone. And like, so also the video, I mean, about where they showed, I guess it was a couple, but I just, I noticed there's a woman in like a doorway walking out of uh, a store downtown and there are these teenage kids around just, just beating the shit out of her. <laughs> like, so people saw the, like their worst nightmares happen on here. And, um, I, I think that, um, people who saw that and freaked out didn't want to hear anybody say, let's not demonize the people in those cell phone videos who could do that to you. And, um, some people, no matter what he said, it wasn't going to be good enough. Um, they could they could say exactly what he wants what he could say exactly what they want to hear and they would just immediately raise the bar for what they want to hear you know it'll never they've already made up their mind about him but i think some people some people can be kind of persuaded either way uh how to feel about it and what can be done and um nobody out there like you said nobody out there reacting to this um has any idea really about what could be done about something like that happening like it you know on on one particular evening um other than just like a massive police and surveillance state you know um where where the police department is watching your every move uh everywhere you walk downtown and you 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 step out of line they're ready to they're ready to throw the cuffs on you and they have the manpower to do that and like that's that's a pretty unoriginal idea a lot of people um support that idea um you know we i don't know if i'd say that it's ever really been like that but the extent to which it was like that when i was a kid um when there weren't cell phone videos going viral i mean a lot of bad stuff happened and um i think that this is it it's a serious thing it's it's a very serious issue but it ends up becoming nonsense just like the socks versus cubs stuff it ends up becoming something that it's like well which sign do you put on your front lawn and um I live in a place where like there are a lot of people who have both of those signs on the front lawn right next to each other. <laughs> there's a guy who's a, there's a guy who's a cop who's right by me has a, has a, we support the police lawn sign right next to the black lives matter lawn sign, which, and, um, it, it, <laughs> I don't know. No, nobody who really cares knows, knows what to do, you know, and no mayor's going to be able to, um solve that problem and make everybody happy but um nobody really talks honestly about it which i think is the bigger problem and it's sort of like you know sometimes i when things like this happen i remember when i was young like a teenager and i was first kind of hearing about this stuff and thinking about it and i think about how like you know, if a kid got shot when I was a teenager and I, and I read about like a kid getting shot. And then I think about all these other like kids that age, they're all grown up. Now. <laughs> like, um, time has gone by opportunities have been wasted and, um, nobody, nothing is any closer really to, it's like, you read about something and you think, yeah, I'm, I support this. Like, like a, a, that book by Emily Bazelon called charged. And it was about, um, basically like the whole bail reform thing that was kind of around the corner or just starting to happen. And this like movement of, of, uh, prosecutors and 
state's attorneys like all over the country that were like, you know, kind of jumping on board to this idea of like, we don't need to have 10,000 guys in the Cook County jail and like 5,000, the 5,000 of them are there for something stupid uh, because they don't have the money to pay their bond or whatever. And it's like a thousand dollars or something like that. And so we've seen the backlash. We, we saw something that it, it's hard to argue against. If you talk honestly about what happened between then and now, it, it's hard to make a rational argument. You know, we're now, that's part, that's a big part of it. I mean, people, even if Brandon Johnson figures out how to master this, they'll be like, well, doesn't matter because Kim Fox is letting them all go. And I mean, is that true? I hear people say a lot that people are getting arrested for murder and then getting out on bond. And my understanding is that that cannot possibly be true. And nobody seems to care about whether or not that's true. So I remember it came up once and um, David Brown, it wasn't about somebody getting arrested for murder and then getting let go. It was more like they got arrested for gun possession and then they were out on bond and they got arrested for murder. A reporter pushed him like, do you, do you have any evidence that that's actually true? And he named, he named the person who was arrested uh, for murder who had already been charged with something very serious and, you know, was let out on bond on what he was, you know, considering a violent crime and somebody who never should have been out on the street. And uh, so this reporter pressed them like, well, is this a widespread thing or was it like one time, like this one person, this anecdote? And, and, he said, one is too many. So I, I always remember that when I, when I hear people talking about they're letting them all go, um, I, I, think, I think that if there was an honest conversation about it, most people in Chicago would say, yeah, if you let somebody out on bond who is awaiting a trial for first-degree murder, then yeah, one is too many. We we can't we can't allow that. If that did happen, what the hell happened there? And um, but if it's for something less than murder, um, and and then somebody commits a murder after that, and somebody's arguing that they shouldn't have ever been on the street. I mean, where is one is too many going to get you? Um. But, but I don't, it's hard to find out what's actually true. Like, has somebody actually been charged with, with murder and then been, been let out on bond? And basically it depends who you ask. And that's insane. Um, there should be like a, it should be easy, I think, to find that information. I mean, I, I want to say I might be remembering this wrong. But I thought that I read a story in the paper about how it happened. And a judge was asked to explain how did this happen. And the judge's answer was that they use an algorithm in determining uh, what kind of bond gets set or something. And, and I just remember thinking like, what what the hell are you talking about? Using the algorithm? <laughs> like, why are you doing that then? Um, I don't know. It's it's a tough one because people aren't honest when they debate about violent crime. They're just not. They're not interested in what's true. They're interested in how they feel, and um, 
So I don't know. Good luck. Yeah. Brandon Johnson. <laughs> uh, to answer your question, I think, and memory's a funny thing. It's been a while. It's funny. I can't remember. I believe Kyle Rittenhouse was let out on bond uh, after he was charged with murder. I believe uh, it wasn't first degree murder, but I do believe he was let out on bond. Uh, and I, I, I believe that while he was out on bond, he was shooting pool in a bar underage with Ricky Schroeder, the actor who played the kid on the show Silver Spoons. Yeah. Uh, now that's an interesting amalgam of memory. I'm not sure Ricky Schroeder was in the pool room with him. I know Ricky Schroeder put up money to help contribute to him getting out of bond, but was Ricky Schroeder in the pool room with him? I, I actually, that's memory going, doing all kinds of funky things. And I, I see what I'm talking about. If that's not true, if Ricky Schroeder was not in that bar shooting pool, then I'm just lying. And we'll never be able. We'll never be able any headway. Yeah, if we don't get honest. And if I don't get honest about Ricky, Schroeder, yeah, no, you got. I mean, listen. Here's the deal. Uh, I don't think it's a lie if you mistakenly say something because you, your memory gets messed up. What Fox TV did, just putting out lies because they were afraid of offending their audience. Uh, that's lying. Okay, so I draw a distinction. Uh, between that. But here's the larger point that I want to make about what you're saying, which I completely agree with. Uh, and, and that is when we, when you become a block, a BLOC block, uh, of just like in a faction, whether it's whatever side you're on, you're going to shape absolutely every piece of information you have to weaponize it in your fight with the other block. Uh, and so this is what I struggle with. And you know, you've heard me say this, Mike, so many times. I can't have a rational discussion or debate with people who disagree with me politically because everything gets turned around. Everything is politicized. I want to go, what's the principle that you advocate and you believe in? Uh, so right now, the right is telling me you're innocent until proven otherwise when it comes to Donald Trump and insurrectionists. Okay, does that not apply also to teenagers in the loop? Uh, when the other teenagers are rampaging, I want to know what principle do you believe in? You believe in a First Amendment protected right to say what you want. Does that not also apply to a teacher in a classroom who wants to teach, I don't know, the history of gays in, in this country? Uh, I always worry about my lefty guests who come on my show, work for the city of Chicago. Are they going to get fired? You know, <laughs> it's like I worry that like Paul Vallis will shut down libraries. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, what's what is the principle you believe in? Because once I know that you have a principle that you believe in, then we can work from that. I go, OK, what do you need to accommodate your principle? What do you want to see? But if you just change your principles to meet whatever. Whatever rhetorical need you have at that moment, then. What you really can't come to any guarantee you this, Mike. You, I, I've said this so many times in the show this week. Your kids are young, there'll become a time, God help us, you'll have teenagers, and your teenagers are going to do some of the stupidest freaking things that a teenager can do. And you know what? You're in after you get mad at them, your instinct will be to protect them. You'll if you will do that because you will be that's what parents do. So I hear this crazy rhetoric. Parents got to cut down on kids. I guarantee you, man, I'll bet you half the kids in the loop lied to their parents that day. I bet you those parents had no idea where those kids were. And I'm not talking about the real knuckleheads who are beating people up. I'm not talking. I'm just talking about everybody else who was just kind of like, wow, wild in the streets. Even a kid who jumped on a car, you know? I could see a lot of you guys out there talking about parents at age 18 jumping on a freaking car because your idiot friend jumped on the car. I, I noticed because I was a teenager, I observed teenagers, and I raised teenagers. So how can you have, Michael, an honest discussion about dealing with parenting and teenagers when the people talking are freaking hypocrites and talking out of two sides of their mouth and react one way when their little Johnny does something incredibly stupid and when another Johnny 
does something incredibly. So I, I don't know. I, and good luck, Brandon Johnson, dealing with that one. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't think he's going to hear that one. That's certainly not a Chicago problem. Um, I mean, that has just kind of been national, if not international, politics during my lifetime. Although I always kind of have this impulse where I always want to, I always want to say that actually I think every like block of people or whatever, actually there's something big that if you deliver on it for them, they'll back off with all that nonsense or at least like tone it way down. I always have this feeling like, because these are my people, right? These are my, (laughs) these are my friends, my coworkers, you know, I have to listen to this stuff all the time. I don't have to turn on Fox news channel to, to hear all this stuff, you know, unfortunately, but like, I always have this feeling like there's, there's some one or two big things that really matter. And it's usually about money. And if it changed, they would have an attitude of, well, Give him credit. A lot of the time, it maybe has. I mean, it's for some people, it could be as simple as taxes. Like if if Brandon Johnson just decided, like, you know what, I re- I agree with Republicans, and I just want to <laughs> screw everything. I'm just gonna like totally slash, you know, taxes. And there are people who would come around, you know, but I don't think that would be good. But like, th- there are people who. You can you can get to people, and you you can usually get to them through their wallet, I think. Um, and because I, I know I know a lot of guys who are like, I always I voted for Democrats, I voted for Obama twice, but and then they go into this rant, and I I'm just like, yeah, I have a hard time believing that you voted for Obama twice <laughs> based on anything you're saying right now. You know, then when I listen a little more and they go into it, like, you know, I do believe them. They did. And there's there's just something. uh, There's something missing there. Um, I I just don't accept the idea that, like, I I don't know. I I don't want to. Far out there, but like just in national politics, like the idea that, um, well, you know, the white working class was the base of the Democratic Party. And now they're not anymore because it turns out that they're racist assholes. And so, you know, they're just bad people and they have this evil in their heart. And if they could just, you know, have a have a change of heart, a metanoia, as my wife would say, um, then then, you know, we will care about, you know, what they think or whatever. And it's like, are you sure? Are you sure maybe you're not the ones who screwed it up and you're you failed to you really pissed them off and now they just want to throw everything at you. And are you so sure that that white working class who, who was so good? Are you, are you sure they weren't just as racist as you know, they are now? And, um, I don't know. A lot of it is, I try not to be too cynical, but a lot of it is just BS. And I I could tell you the white, the whole thing about the white working class. And I'm going to, uh, not to go down this rabbit hole. But I remember in 1984, uh, there was actually a torchlight parade for uh, Walter Mondale uh, in Chicago. Talk about lost causes. Uh, And there was a guy in the the, uh, (laughs) marching to pray with a sign that said, white man for Mondale. And so there was the, the the joke was no white man was for Mondale. And that was how many years ago? Help me with the math. Almost 40 years ago. The white working class, that was already a joke then. And that was 15, 16 years after George Wallace came north and converted or brought in a lot of white working class voters. That was, so yes, the, the whole discussion of the white working class is one that uh, I could spend hours talking about. All right, uh, are we going to have time to do, uh, I promised a song. We had a few technical difficulties. Uh, that no one will know about because Nate will be brilliant in editing them out unless he just wants to mess with us and keep them in. Uh, but how about a song from the great Mike Girardi, uh, the Neil Young of Chicago, as I like to call him. There's a lot of anger in there. 
uh, in some of his songs, although some are poignant, like the one about his neighborhood. Uh, so, Mike, the floor is yours. Let's close down with a song. All right. If anybody asks Brandon Johnson, how are you going to pay for that? This song is the answer to that question, named after your infamous article, The Shadow Budget. <laughs> Kids in poverty paid for your shadow budget subsidy. Couldn't have said it better myself, Mike Girardi. Uh, thanks a lot for taking time to talk to us. I know you have a busy schedule. Uh, and a thank you to your wife. A shout out for uh, taking care of the kids while you did this. 
and uh, hope to see you soon. Maybe next time we go out for breakfast, we're going to go to the south side and uh, we'll test the cinnamon rolls there, all right? Sounds good. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. That's the great Mike Girardi, ladies and gentlemen. The Neil Young of Chicago, man. I love that song. Uh, one in three kids in poverty paid for your shadow budget subsidy, ladies and gentlemen. And, of course, the shadow budget is TIF fun. That's the day where they just dip into that fun every now and then and then throw it at one of their friends. You pay for it. You don't even know you pay for it. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Mike Girardi. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.